0: Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with Evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's Evangelist Jonathan. Well, welcome to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm Jonathan Shuttlesworth, and today I'm going to begin a series that I'm going to make into a book entitled The 20 Laws That Govern the Financial Anointing. So today's part one. Glad to have you on with me. And I'm going to make you an offer. If you're watching live or you're watching the replay. Uh, I think I've come out with me, I've come out with two books and then me and Adelaus co-wrote one. So that's three in three years, I think. So I got, I got about 45 years left on the planet, if Jesus uh, tarries. So that would be 45 more books, which is less than I want to write. So what I require to speed up the process is a copy editor, because the system that I do—if I have to sit in a room and write—it's I, I, never gonna. I'm never gonna get books done. My gift is a speaking gift. So um, I speak on a series, the way we did the other books, and then get it transcribed. But when we transcribe it, there's a bunch of stuff that needs edited out, like me talking right now. So that's a that's a lot of work, and it requires a full time person. So we've had part time people do it. We've had People in the ministry that have a lot of other responsibility do it when they have the chance. But I need a full-time copy editor. So if you're interested, you can email info at com. I will pay you $4,000 if you can get this done once it's done in a month. And then if you can get it done in a month, not only will I pay you $4,000 if you're interested in coming on full-time. So actually, don't apply if you're not interested in doing it full-time. So I'll make it, I'll make it a full-time salary job if you're interested because I could use the help. So, I mean, you got to know it's not something like you're interested in making $4,000. you have never copy-edited it. If, if you know how to copy-edit for a book, uh, info at and I'll look forward to hearing from you, and then this will be like your trial, and we'll see how you do. So there it is, info at revivaltoday.com. All right, let's get started. The 20 laws that govern the financial anointing, part one. First Kings 17, verse one. Now Elijah, who is from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no do or reign during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Careth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him, and camped beside Careth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land." Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water and a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends the rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. So, it would be impossible to read that passage of Scripture, and that's one of many, without coming to the conclusion that there is a supernatural financial anointing. There's people that operate in a healing anointing. There's people that operate in an anointing to prophesy. But there's an anointing that's been left out that's in the Bible that very few people deal with and even fewer people operate in. And I've called it the financial anointing. Some people have it. They don't have to fundraise. They don't have to try to generate capital. Elijah wasn't trying to find food. Food was finding Elijah. And when Elijah went to a home where a lady had nothing to eat, when he showed up on the scene without him starting a GoFundMe, announcing anything on Facebook, she went from not having enough to where the Bible says in the original uh, New Living Translation, First Kings seventeen sixteen, no matter how much she used, there was always plenty left over. That is a financial anointing. Most people don't have it. Giving alone doesn't produce it. There's something you can carry on your life by the Holy Ghost that draws wealth to you. Psalm 23:5 Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. If you're interested in helping the poor, Helping the poor begins with a decision to not be one of them. You can't help people if you need help. So for all the critics, especially in the church world, on the subject of money, how are you going to follow Jesus' basic commands to feed the hungry if you don't have enough food? How are you going to follow Jesus' basic command to clothe the naked if you're struggling to buy school clothes for your, for your own children. Helping the poor begins with a decision to not become one of them. Without money, without finances, you can't do what God's called you to do. Life becomes a frustration. On the flip side, when you have an abundance of money... You're able to dream big dreams and accomplish big tasks. If you took a minister who had ten times the anointing as another minister, but he had one hundredth of the finances, the minister with one-tenth of the anointing, but a hundred times more finances, would be able to accomplish more for the kingdom of God. Think of it. You take the most powerful preacher you know, but he only has enough money to put a crusade together to have 100 people in attendance. And the other guy's not anywhere near as good a preacher. Doesn't have a miracle ministry anywhere near, anywhere comparable with the other minister. But he has the finances to be able to put on a proper crusade with 20,000 people in the crowd. Even if he gets a fraction, percentage-wise, of his hearers to respond to Christ he'll far outproduce the man with the crusade with 100 people. Money matters. If you don't care about money, you don't care about people. If you don't care about money, you don't care about your own life. If you don't care about money, you don't care about your family. If you don't care about money, you don't care about your own dream and accomplishing the thing God's given you to do. If you do care about all of those above things that I said, Then you want to understand the laws that govern the financial anointing. We've already seen through Elijah's life that there is a financial anointing. You see it through the life of Jesus as well. Nobody can naturally turn five loaves of bread and two fish into a meal that overfeeds 5,000 men not counting the women and children. That's impossible. So there is a supernatural anointing that affects money And provision. And like anything else, like there's laws that govern science, there's laws that govern thermodynamics, there's laws that govern health, there are laws that govern the financial anointing. And we're going to explore 20 of them together. 20 laws that govern the financial anointing. Number one, The law of positive outlook. If you think the world is going to end in the next three months, you're not going to build anything. You're not going to invest and you're not going to grow. If you're focused on the fact that the do- you believe the dollar is going to collapse and we're going to go into some kind of apocalyptic state, Then it will paralyze you. The first instruction that Elijah gave that widow when she voiced her concerns was, don't be afraid. Fear paralyzes. There are people that study what's done behind closed doors. The manipulation of markets. The manipulation of governments. Election interference. Tampering. And everything that they have studied and researched and know is true. But that knowledge has, has paralyzed them. They're, they've become, uh, they're not able to study end-time events and end-time Bible prophecy without getting into fear and so they don't produce anything. I want you to be clear That though this present world will come to an end, two things. Number one, Jesus said, before that day, there will be buying and selling, farming and building. People will be married and being given in marriage. The New Living Translation adds to that. It will be business as usual before I return. And I want, I want you to understand that business as usual. In such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. It's going to catch people unaware. There is not a pre-apocalypse to the apocalypse. People will be buying and selling. That means there will be functional economy before the return of Christ. Secondly, with all of the harsh Bible prophecies that there are about bad things that are going to happen before the return of the Lord. None of them nullify the command that God gave the believer to occupy until God comes and to be fruitful and multiply. God didn't make productivity available. God commanded productivity and multiplication. The person who doesn't produce and multiply is in rebellion to God's first command That he gave to man. If you focus on negative things, you will never operate in the financial anointing. Number one, the law of positive outlook. Focus on the promises of God for you as a believer, they don't change based on who becomes president. They don't change based on what's being plotted behind closed doors. When God has blessed you, no one and nothing can curse you. The law of positive outlook. Do you see a dim future for you? Or do you see a bright future for you? The word of God declares in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Behold, I know the plan I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to what? To prosper you. And never to harm you. How many times harm you? Never to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a glorious future. It's impossible to focus on what God says about you in your life and have a negative outlook. God's word is not subjected subjected to the decisions of the International Monetary Fund, the World Economic Forum, the United Nations. No group can plot and destroy your future. Your future is not in the devil's hands. Your future is in God's hands. Number one, the law of positive outlook. You will never prosper without a positive outlook on life and your future. You will meet people who struggle financially, and the vast majority of the time, they're very negative people. It's like a two-pronged attack of the devil. He has you go through hard times so that you forfeit your joy and positive outlook and exchange it for a negative outlook. Many of us were raised in homes or because our parents struggled financially. They instilled things in us with their words that set you up for a negative outlook on life to repeat the cycle of poverty. You'll see when you get older, must be, must be nice playing. Wait till you're my age and you have to work for a living. Their words conveyed that life was a life of hardship and bills. An expense. If you receive that into your spirit, you'll never be a prosperous person. Joseph never forfeited his positive outlook as a slave or as a prisoner. He received a dream from God that one day he would rule. And he held to that dream despite the fact that all outward circumstances contradicted Everything that God told him. He honored the law of positive outlook, and in the end, he didn't die a prisoner, he didn't die a slave, he died as prime minister of the most powerful nation in the world. I'm sure you've gone through hard things, I'm sure you've had things happen that you wish would have turned out differently. Don't give the devil a second victory by allowing that negative experience to turn you into a negative person. Maintain your joy in the Lord. Maintain a heartfelt belief that my future is bright because it's in the hands of God. If you'll maintain that belief, you've set the foundation to walk in the financial anointing. Number one, the law of positive outlook. Number two, turn in your Bible to Second Kings, Chapter Four. Verse one. Second Kings 4, 1. One day the widow of a member of a group of the prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. Elisha said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and you and your son can live on what's left. Number two, the 20 laws that govern the financial anointing. Law number two, the Elisha law. I must see that wealth comes from me. I'm not in need. I've been sent by God to my generation to lift financial needs off of people. I have more than enough. My head is anointed and my cup overflows. When the widow told Elisha about her problem, he didn't say, well, join the club. I have my own financial problems. We're all struggling. Elisha realized he carried an anointing to lift people out of poverty. I was going to call this second law, look to pay, but it's not catchy. But now that I titled it something else, I want you to to catch that and not forget it. Look to pay. What do I mean by that? Look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Turn to the book of John. John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed the hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? I want you to notice the question that Jesus asked. Jesus felt it was his responsibility to feed those people. He didn't say, I hope those people brought food. And he didn't expect the people to feed him. Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, It would take months of wages to feed all these people. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they sat on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. And many of you know the rest of the story that Jesus multiplied that meal and fed everybody that was there And everybody ate until full and there was plenty left over. There's another instance of the financial anointing in the Bible. We read it again in 2 Kings chapter 4. Elisha, by prophetic instruction, multiplied the widow's oil. So there is a financial anointing. Both of those things cannot be done naturally. That was done supernaturally. Look to pay. Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? I never had seen a minister pay for a meal in my entire life. It's not the way things were done. If you were a minister, a well-to-do family from the church took you out to eat. The pastor, uh, or I I should say, I never saw a guest minister pay for a meal. How's that? They're always treated. They're the guest. And so, one day, I went to a meal as a, as a child at Red Lobster. My grandfather was the minister. He took a whole bunch of other ministers out in their families. There were probably over 30 people. Ordered a bunch of food, crab legs for everybody. The bill had to be enormous. Enormous and I was waiting for them to split checks like they did, and my grandfather told the the server, have everybody's bill brought to me, and then paid the bill. That made an impression on me. I think I was 13 years old, and I'm still talking about it, and I'm 40. I had never seen somebody pay, let alone a minister, for tons of family's food. And when I saw that, I liked it. Most people are looking for somebody to pay for them. They think being blessed is someone buying your meal. But true blessing doesn't celebrate what it receives. True blessing celebrates what it gives. When Jesus saw a massive crowd that needed food, remember, if there were 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, then there were way more than 5,000 people. 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. When is the last time you paid for a meal involving more than you and your family? You can't operate like Christ did. I'm not telling you to pay for 30,000 people. But start where you're at. I was preaching for a pastor in Toronto, Ontario. He was over 80 years old. I met him for lunch. It was me, his wife, and him. Because they were older in years, they ordered a soup and sandwich and split it. Half the sandwich for her, half for him, because most people in their eighties don't don't eat a lot. People that eat a lot usually don't make it to eighty. and so i had told the the server to bring the bill to me. No big deal i think but i was I think I was fasting, so I had orange juice. so I think the whole bill was about fourteen or eighteen dollars. But I didn't know what they were going to order. I didn't ask for the bill because it was a low bill. That's just what it turned out to be. So I paid it. And when he asked for the bill, the server said, it's already been taken care of. Your guest paid. His eyes got wide and his mouth dropped open. And he said, you're not supposed to do that. You're the evangelist. I said, don't worry about it. I said, you and your wife split a soup and sandwich, and I had orange juice. It's not like it's going to break me. He went, that's not the point. In 60 years of pastoring, that's the first time an evangelist has ever taken care of a restaurant bill. So, there's a mentality problem. Well, you talk to most traveling ministers, they need their next offering to pay last month's bills. It's a mentality change. He said this to test Philip, for he already knew what he would do. Oh, it would take several months. See, Philip was focused on the expense. Jesus followed the Elisha law. Provision comes from me. I don't need provision. I create provision. Since I got that revelation out of Jesus feeding the 5,000, I've tried to feed as many people as I can pretty regularly. Most times when I eat at a restaurant, I'll ask the waitress to bring me two or three other people's bills at the table. Sometimes I'll pay for everybody in the restaurant. I'm not saying you have to do that, but it's pretty hard to read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and go out to eat with four other people and ask if you can be put, if we can split the checks. When's the last time you paid for a meal for someone involving more than your own family? The Elisha law. The Elisha law, very simply, is believing in the depth of your heart that I am not in need God has sent me to my generation to erase needs when you make that mentality switch the financial anointing is drawn to you because the financial anointing primarily does not work To meet your needs. The financial anointing works through you. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. The financial anointing deals with overflow. More than your cup can hold. And until you have eyes to meet other people, to help other people outside of your cup, your cup will never overflow. You could never get me to say, I have a need, with a gun to my head. I can't say it. Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack anything. Philippians 4.11, Paul, summing up his ministry, said, not that I was ever in need. Well, that's a stark contrast to how you hear most Christians and ministers speak. We have a need. Always playing from behind. But it's not scriptural. I will, Deuteronomy 28. I will fill your storehouses with grain. Storehouses filled with grain implies Not only your needs met, but an abundance in reserve. Not playing from behind, playing from ahead. If your storehouse is full, you don't need to borrow. That's why right in the same passage in Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 14, it says, you will lend only, but thou shalt not borrow. To our debt obsessed culture That sounds impossible But I have a question If you're never in need Because the Lord is your shepherd And you don't lack How could you ever need to borrow? Borrowing requires a need And the Bible says that God God supplies all your needs. So though we've been trained to think it's normal to be in need, scripturally it's abnormal. The Elisha law. Not only am I not in debt, if a widow comes that's in severe debt, God's empowered me to get her out of the debt. If a multitude has a deficit of food, God has empowered me to erase their deficit of food. I'm not in need. I meet needs. I want you to say that out loud. That's the Elisha law. That's the law Of looking to pay. Not looking for somebody to pay for you. The 20 laws that govern the financial anointing. Number three. The law of contentment. The law of contentment. Let me find the scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is one of these scriptures that people who don't believe in prosperity think people like me are unaware of. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. 1 Timothy 6, 6. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. And some people craving money have wandered far from the truth and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I was preaching in Vermont once and I spoke on the blessing of Abraham. And a young man who had been to Bible college walked up to me after with his Bible open and his eyes like angry, waiting to talk to me. And then when it was his turn in line, I said, can I help you? He said, well, you you preach tonight that God wants people to have money. I want to read something to you. And he read the passage that I just read to you. He said, what do you have to say about that? I said, does the chapter end where you stopped? He said, no. I said, read the rest to me. And this is what it says. Verse 11. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey his commands without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world to do what? Burn all their money and possessions? No. Not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us everything we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. To which he responded, Oh. It helps if you read the whole thing. The 20 laws that govern the financial anointing. Number three, law number three, the law of contentment. God spoke to my overseer in the ministry, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, and said, when everything means nothing to you, I'll give you everything. I want you to write that down when everything means nothing to you I'll give you everything when God speaks to you about giving many times he's testing you to make sure that money and possessions only have a place in your hand not in your heart that clothes are only something you wear They're not something you love. So when the Holy Spirit speaks to you to give something of value away, it's a test to see if you're qualified to handle true riches. Money in the hand is a tool. Money in the heart is a poison. If you love money, you love watches, You love clothes. You love shoes. You love a certain kind of vehicle. It will greatly hinder you from operating in the financial anointing. The law of contentment. Paul said that people who have allowed themselves to love things have pierced themselves with many sorrows and destroyed themselves. When you love a thing or a house or a possession, it opens the door to temptation to steal, to be dishonest in your business practices, to get rich quick so that you can get that thing. But when you're content with what you have, you can give properly. And it closes the door to greed, unethical business practice, and theft. The law of contentment. When everything means nothing to you, I'll give you everything. I had a luxury automobile that I acquired miraculously. I I really liked that vehicle, especially after driving vehicles that were beat up for a long time. One day when I was driving in it, the Lord spoke to me to give that vehicle, which was paid for, to another minister. So I had it detailed, washed and waxed, and I drove it to his church and handed him the keys and the title. I had said, do you like my vehicle? I said, oh yeah, very much. I said, well now it's yours. I had to get a ride home with somebody else. From the time I did that, I've not only been able to acquire that same type of vehicle new, I've bought vehicles for other people. When when everything means nothing to you, I'll give you everything. When material possessions have no hold on you. God will flood you with them. God enjoys blessing his children, but he does not enjoy giving them material wealth and possessions that destroy them or take his place. I have a very nice watch. It means a lot to me because of who gave it to me. If the Lord spoke to me to give it away right now, it would be off my wrist in under 20 seconds. There's nothing I have that the Lord could speak to me to give that I'd even think twice about it. A man came up to me during one of our times of 21 days of prayer and fasting many years ago. And he said, I have a classic car that's worth a lot of money. When I was praying at the altar, the Lord spoke to me to give it to you for your ministry. I knew right then that he wasn't going to give it. Partially because I've never had the Lord speak to me to tell someone that I'm going to give them something. Just give it. I didn't tell that pastor the Lord spoke to me to give you my SUV. I just gave it to him. So when people start telling you that the Lord spoke to them to give, they're already wrestling. And usually they're wrestling a losing match. So I said, praise the Lord. He called me about six weeks later. Said, Jonathan, I talked it over with some of the men that are in a Bible study with me, and they said that that's not really wise to give that away and that God doesn't expect that of me. It's odd to me that people can have the Lord tell them something and then they run it by a human being or a group of human beings and allow the human beings to veto what the Holy Spirit said. So he said, I know I shook your hand and gave you my word, and my word is my bond. So if you want me to give it to you still, I'll honor my word. Well, when he said that the scripture came up in my spirit Ananias and Sapphira the money is yours was yours to give or not to give that's what Peter said to them so I said no the car is yours to give I'm not going to have somebody give something to me because I told them well you gave me your word the money is his to give or not to give the car is his to give or not to give if you want to disobey God that's your business and he said okay I've never heard from him again. I've never seen him. Obviously, it would convict him to see me again because it would be a reminder of his rebellion. I don't know why you would keep the car anyway. Every time you see it in your garage, it's going to be a glowing reminder to you that you're disobedient. You'll never be able to ride in that car again and enjoy yourself. When the Lord spoke to me to give that SUV, if I had kept it, I would never have a pleasurable ride in that vehicle for the rest of my life because I would have violated the law of contentment. Having enough food and clothing, let us be content. For godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm increasing because God commanded me to increase and God's anointed me to increase. But I'm not striving to increase. When he anoints your head with oil, your cup just runs over. You don't have to try to get it to run over. I've never messaged anyone privately in the entirety of my life in ministry asking them if I could please have some money. I'm not trying to get it. It follows me. And whatever I don't have, I'm content. There's nothing I don't possess that I care about. If you don't settle contentment, the law of contentment, you'll be owned by materialism you'll never be able to build a big enough house. When I was looking into getting private aircraft, I thought it was a big deal to get a private jet. One day when I chartered one, I landed at the private airport in West Palm Beach, Florida. Most of the times when I fly out of a private airport, there's one or two or three planes on the runway and in the hangars. West Palm Beach, because of how much wealth there is, had lines of private jets. And then there were hangars where, if you didn't want to keep it parked out on the runway, you could lease a hangar. And then there were private hangars where the people that didn't want to use the public hangar had their own hangar built. And I realized something. You can never have enough. I would have thought it was a big deal to buy a private jet. And then when I parked it on that West Palm Beach airport, I would have realized that there were people. I had a 10-year-old jet. They had a brand-new jet. My interior was the stock interior. They had a custom interior. I saved up enough to get my plane hangered, They had their own hangar that was climate controlled and had a lounge on the inside. If you built the biggest house on planet Earth, somebody would find out that you did it and build a bigger one tomorrow. So if you don't settle contentment, you'll always be discontent. You cannot master something that controls you. So if wealth and possessions control you, You can't operate in the anointing. The anointing is dominion. And you can't have dominion over something that has dominion over you. Money can't master you. You have to master money. And one of the secrets is the law of contentment. The 20 laws that govern the financial anointing. Number four. the law of proper value and i'll make this one the last one for today hope you've enjoyed it the law of proper value Proverbs 1 verse 20, wisdom shouts in the streets, she cries out in the public square, she calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate, how long you simpletons will you insist on being simple-minded, how long will you mockers relish your mocking, how long will you fools hate knowledge, come and listen to my counsel, I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. So I'll laugh when you're in trouble. I'll mock you when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone. And anguish and distress overwhelm you. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they hated knowledge. They chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way. Choking on their own schemes. For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. But all who listen to me will be in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. The law of proper value. And the longer title for that law. Would be the law of placing a proper value on wisdom. There was a struggling minister that I knew of years ago, and one day he complained. I contacted a certain ministry that's a very well known, famous ministry, and asked them if they could give me $10,000. And I never heard back from them. It would be very easy for them to give me $10,000, but they won't do it. He sneered. He put a value on the money that ministry had. He owned none of their books. He had read none of their teachings. He had been to none of their conferences. He put value on the money that their wisdom produced and zero value on the wisdom they had that produced the overflow of money. Bishop David Oyedepo, probably the largest, most financially prosperous ministry on planet earth. When his church was small and he was poor, the minister who he worked for that also had a worldwide large ministry at that time came back from a speaking tour in Europe and America. And when, he, when Bishop Oyedepo was in this man's office, the man pointed at a duffel bag in the corner that was full of American money and said, go in that bag and take all you want for you, your wife, and your ministry. That sounds like a dream come true. Bishop David Oyedepo responded, I don't want what's in the bag. I want what you know that created what's in the bag. I don't want what's in the bag. I want what you know and what you have that creates the money that's in the bag. If that minister back in 2008, when I heard them say it, was given $10,000, the money would have finished in three months. But the wisdom that produces the money never finishes. I don't want what the money in the bag. I want the wisdom that produced the money in the bag. If a church opens up a food pantry A clothing closet for people that need food and clothes? The parking lot's full of people. If they do a teaching session on finances, you'd be fortunate to have three people show up. And probably none of the people that go to the food pantry or the clothing. Wisdom calls for a hearing in the streets, but no one will listen. So I'll laugh when you're in trouble, and I'll mock you when you're having problems. God wrote that. The law of placing a proper value on wisdom. I want to ask you a question and I want you to answer it to yourself. What books do you own and have you read on the subject of finances? Financial increase? Investing? Revelation on money? Number two, what events have you attended hosted by people who have mastered money dispelling their wisdom to help you do it as well in a shorter amount of time? To not have to take 40 years to learn what they've learned. To just listen. Number three, who are you listening to now in your life consistently that has mastered money and real estate And investing. If you don't have a current voice. On those subjects. Those subjects will always remain a mystery to you. Rich people will always be people who are lucky to you. Or evil. I don't know how anybody could get that much money. They must steal. They must be dishonest. That's why when you have media. People in the media criticize prosperous preachers. That's the standpoint they come from. They're fools. They think the only way someone can increase is by being dishonest. The 20 laws that govern the financial anointing. Law number four. The law of placing a proper value on wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. In all thy getting, get wisdom and obtain understanding. In our culture, people put a premium on going through hardship. People brag about hardship. I went through the school of hard knocks. You only have to go through the school of hard knocks if you bypass the school of wisdom. Because any lesson you can learn in life can be learned ahead of time by the word of God and by listening to people who have already gone through what you're going through. Life, marriage, finances, starting a business. There's vast wisdom readily available for anybody that wants to listen to that. If you bypass it, You bypass it to your own peril, according to Proverbs chapter 1. On the flip side, if you place a high premium on financial wisdom, you soar effortlessly and with ease. God doesn't teach through pain. God doesn't teach through hardship. God doesn't teach through failure. God teaches by his word. God places a high premium on wisdom. And he has no respect, according to Proverbs chapter 1, for people that don't place his same high regard on wisdom. You bypass my wisdom... Then when you're in trouble, read Proverbs 1. He doesn't cry. I already gave you the solutions, and you haven't cleared up enough time to read them. When you read the Bible, there's a verse that says, Be followers of them who by faith and patience have obtained the promises of God. I want you to hear that. Be followers of them who by faith and patience have obtained the promises of God. Not explain the promises of God. Obtained the promises of God. So if you want to operate in the healing anointing, anybody can talk about their thoughts on healing. But you should follow those who have obtained the manifestation of that promise. Listen to people who have had blind eyes opened, miraculously. Deaf ears opened. The cripple walk. Those are the people to listen to. And in the subject of money, you can listen to any idiot talk about their thoughts about money. But if you listen to the people who have obtained the promise, who operate in overflow, who are the lender only and not the borrower, You're going to get wisdom from the heart of God that will transform your life. Number four, the 20 laws that govern the financial anointing, the law of proper value. I would love to see in the comments which law of these first four of the 20 spoke to you the most or the one that you enjoyed the most. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person you've drawn to this broadcast. I pray that they would be one of the righteous who are a partaker of this end-time supernatural wealth transfer. Thank you for wealth and provision being shaken out of the hands of the wicked and coming into the hands of the righteous. We bless you, O Lord. Thank you for your word that gives us wisdom to prevail in every arena of life, including the money arena. Thank you that we'll never lack. Say it out loud. I'll never be broke another day in my life. Thank you that our cup runs over. Thank you that goodness and mercy pursues us all the days of our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you've fallen out of relationship with God, or so, no one's ever given you the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ, I want you to do that today. Here's the uh, phone number at the bottom of the screen. You can call. We've got great people standing by to pray with you. 412-440-1412. You can call that right now. 412-440-1412. Let me see that graphic for the wealth pack that I made. If when I asked you that question about what books you read and all that, and you thought, man, I don't have any. Well, you don't have to feel bad. I'm going to send you four of the best as a thank you for giving to build the kingdom of God today. Going from left to right. That's financial overflow. Ten Bible Principles to Unlock Heaven's Unending Supply. That's the first book I ever wrote. Worth reading. I just made a list of the ten things that I discovered in in God's Word that changed me from having a negative bank account to a million plus. Understanding financial prosperity. Bishop David Oyadepo, who I mentioned in the teaching, what took him from a church with benches and a grass roof with 11 people coming on Sunday to building a 109,000 seat indoor air conditioned church, which will be the largest indoor auditorium on planet Earth in a place where the exchange rate is 440 to 1 to the U.S. dollar. That's supernatural. What does he know? 31 Reasons People Do Not Receive Their Financial Harvest, by Dr. Mike Murdoch, worth a reading. And Money Cometh to the Body of Christ, by Dr. Leroy Thompson. That's a man that God used to impact me heavily when I was 27 years old. And then this book, when I finish doing the teaching and make it into a book, this will be a, a good companion piece to Financial Overflow. I'm going to send those four books to anybody that gives $100 or more today as a way of saying thank you. And then I'm believing for 200 people. So if you're one of them that the Lord would speak to, I'll say thank you ahead of time. We're building a, a Holy Ghost church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that will never mask up, will never parrot critical race theory talking points. It's going to be a spiritual church. Focuses on winning the lost, a place where your kids can get baptized in the Holy Ghost without having to go to summer camp or a retreat. God's going to use that church mightily. If you sow a seed of $1,000 or more, I'm going to send you. This is a new King James Bible, leather cover, and it says on the front, Revival Today Kingdom Builder. It's a special edition Bible for people standing with us and helping us build the church. And then it's got pictures from my first 20 years in evangelism in the back. So if you're interested in our ministry, you'll enjoy that. And then um, I'll say this as well. We're going to record television episodes to talk about end-time Bible prophecy and how the, a lot of the health stuff that's going on right now is being used to create the framework for the Antichrist system. So people can already tell something's up, but I'm going to show them from the Bible. What's up? And I believe God's going to use those broadcasts on national television for a lot of people to get saved. And I think it's also going to strengthen the resistance against tyranny in the United States and around the world. So that's $17,000 a night. And we've had people say, I want to take care of one of those nights. And so a $17,000 seed. So I want to challenge you from your business, ministry, or personally, if you want to see that kind of teaching go out over the air, and you want to take care of a night, I'll say thank you ahead of time for that $17,000 seat. You're going to bring the gospel to many, many people. Multiplied thousands. Um, it'll essentially cover every home that has a television in the United States, but obviously that doesn't mean everybody's watching. You know, when people say my program covers 80 million homes, that's like saying because I'm on Facebook that my broadcast today covered... Uh, billion people. It did, but it didn't, because they have to be watching. But I'm going to put it on a channel that has very high viewership. If you can't do 17,000, but you want to do something significant, you know, higher higher than 1,000, I'll say thank you. And God will multiply it back to you. And And I really do thank you. Hope you enjoyed today. We'll pick it up tomorrow with part two of the 20 Laws that govern the financial anointing. Thank you, everybody, that's giving. Appreciate it. Well, you'll see me soon. I'll be there um, in December. Lord Oh, yeah, here's the ways to give. Thanks, guys. I forgot. Hashtag donate on Facebook. Text RT to 50155. Cash app. Dollar sign RT give. Yes, you can, Susan. And thank you. Venmo, at rtgive, PayPal, revivaltoday.com, slash PayPal. If you want to give cryptocurrency, you can scan that QR code. Thanks, Ms. Green. Look forward to meeting you in person one day. You can always just go to our website, revivaltoday.com, and click Give Now. If you want to mail it, Revival Today, P.O. Box 7, Prosperity, Pennsylvania, 15329. However you give, don't forget to claim your offer at revivaltoday.com. Claim my offer. That ensures you get the books and everything. If you want to speak to a human being, thank you, Kayla. Congratulations on your ever-increasing family. 412-446-2332. Not this weekend, but next weekend. Come see me in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the capital of the state. First Assembly of God, Harrisburg. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 7 p.m. Friday and Saturday. Sunday, 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Just so you know, um, I'll just say it while I'm here. Our church is going to start at 10 a.m. So just because I'm sure eventually you're going to have to get stuff printed up. So it's going to be 10 a.m. Wow. Borner. I've been trying to say thank you, Jonathan. Since listening to you, I heard about the River Riverbemble Institute and I'll be attending in January. That's great. Where are you from? Not a common last name. Are you from, you're international or uh, in the United States? I like 11 o'clock services. I like, if I have a choice between 9, 10, or 11, I would go to 11. But if you start at 11 and have a longer service like we will have, then it, it, it goes too late into the day, in my opinion. I think 10 to 1, not that I'm going to go three hours necessarily, but 10 to 1 is more doable than 11 to 2, in my opinion. That's great, Ms. Green. Congratulations. Thank you, Sheila. Uh, have you published when the Revival... Good to see you, Ciara, by the way. Have you published when the Revival Today Church will open? February, tentatively. supposed to be November. We still don't have permitting, but we should have it at the end of the month. Once I have the permits, then it's all in Abel's hands, and I can set a hard date. To be safe, February. Hopefully, it will be done in January. But, but I'd say February right now. Liberia, but you live in Frederick, Maryland. That's not too far from me. Well, congratulations ahead of time on going to River Bible Institute. All my friends in Bible, Bible college were Liberian. Not that you should generalize or stereotype, but I've never met people who like to laugh as much as Liberians, in my opinion. Please share with the Dallas that our little boy, nine months old, loves the Mighty series. We just moved north, so we're very close, and we'll stop by as a family. I didn't know that. Message me on uh, Instagram. Tell me where you moved. Audiobook version of Financial Everflow. Probably not, but we should be able to have one of this because I, I, I'm doing it right now. So, Sorry, Dre. Thank you, Tanika. I love you all. I'll see you tonight on. Um, check the news, ten p.m. Hey, this is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast, or if you're listening to my wife, thank you on her behalf. If you want to be more than just a casual listener and stand with us as we take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, go to revivaltoday.com and click Give Now and be a part of the 1,000 monthly partners that we're believing for. I have a special gift that I'll send to you today, and I'll say thank you in advance. Until next time, thanks for listening. See you later.